What I want us to do is just set our mind on things above. I want to set our mind on the beauty of the Lord. The knowledge of God is the most powerful, one of the most powerful weapons you have in your arsenal against darkness and against a heart that's that's straying, against knowledge, against facts and figures that would hurt you otherwise. The knowledge of God lifts the mind. It lifts the heart. You think in paradigms and realities that you wouldn't otherwise think of when you think upon the Lord. And so just in, as uh, Truman plays, Truman might have a chorus, he might not, but uh, just as Truman plays the piano, I want you to meditate on the beauty of the Lord. If you have a journal or if you have a piece of paper, I just encourage you to write it down. Any distracting thought that you have in your mind, write it on, put a, put a big cross in the middle of your paper. And on the left-hand side, every distracting thought that would cause you to take to somehow look away from the Lord or stop meditating on the Lord, I just want you to write it down on the left side. Anything good or wholesome or excellent that comes into your mind, I want you to write it on the right side. So Lord, here we are. We are your children. You are our Father. We thank you. Oh Lord, we thank you for the beauty of holiness. God, I ask you in the room to, that you would increase your presence even now. The Holy Spirit would come and make known the beauty of Jesus. Make known the holiness of God. Father, we do not want to be threatened by your holiness. You are the God who invites. You call yourself a father. You are the God who pursues. Father, I pray as we think upon the beauty of the Lord, as we think upon the splendor of your holiness, that our minds and hearts would be filled. That we would touch something powerful and unique. Just keep coming in. If you're coming in right now, just open your Bible, Psalm 29, verse 2. It's also on your handout. Just begin to meditate upon the splendor of the Lord.
known the beauty of the Lord in this room, I ask you, establish the beauty of the Lord. Establish His holiness in our hearts, O God. Whatsoever is good and pure, think upon these things. We think upon You, Jesus. Cut through the distance between our soul and the reality of being with You where You are. Righteous Psalm 29, verse 2. Let's begin to meditate on that verse. If you're not sure what to do with your meditation, put a, a cross right in the middle of a piece of paper. And on the left side, anything that's distracting you from thinking about the verse, just write it down, acknowledge it that it entered your mind, write it down, get it out of the way, and then go right back to your verse. Begin thinking about that verse. Anything that's good or wholesome or new, I just invite you to write it down on the right side. That's your entrance. That's your beginning point to the knowledge of God. That you would have the confidence to write some revelation down on a piece of paper. Your Father wants to communicate to you today.
you've said yourself, the flesh can birth nothing. It must be the Spirit. We love you. Amen. All right, for those of you uh, who don't, didn't read the, anything, you're in the room. We're talking about abortion. You should all have a handout. Who does not have a handout? Good. Excellent. Uh, my name is Ian Rutherford. I'm a section leader at the House of Prayer. We have a obviously a 24-7 ministry. A section leader basically oversees the prayer room ministry. We help and serve the worship teams and the worship leaders, uh, helping them with pastoral dynamics and scheduling and just odds and ends. And so uh, over the last four years, I've been on staff at the International House of Prayer. My wife and I, we have uh, five children. And uh, the Lord has been so faithful and good to us in terms of revealing himself to us. And truly, I will say without question, he has made us joyful in his house of prayer. That promise, that Amos promise that he would make us joyful in the house of prayer, it is, it is truly a fact. For some of you today, the Lord is far away from your soul. You can't feel the Lord. For some of you, even coming in here into this room hearing about abortion, it's kind of nerve-wracking to even think that you're in this room for some of you you have no idea why you're here others of you are are actually genuinely interested because you've been in in the battle for life and to all of you i just say bless you just wherever your heart's at right now i'm speaking as a shepherd wherever your heart's at right now i bless you and i don't want this uh next couple moments if you're if you have uh, had an abortion, this is not a talk designed to bring condemnation to your hearts. If you have been, if you're a man, if you've been involved in an abortion, this is not a talk to bring condemnation to you and tell you what you did wrong. If you're in this room, you already know what you did wrong. This talk is designed to bring the Lord near to you and to give you context of what the battle for life is all about. And in the end, hopefully we'll more than have understanding of abortion, we'll have a greater understanding of the love of God and the knowledge of God. The beauty of the Lord, the one thing, uh, message that you've heard about from the platform and from our different speakers, that is the knowledge of God. That is the beauty of the knowledge of God. And that's what we need to contend for in America. Look here, uh, your handout begins with, this breakout is designed to provide some context of the abortion battle. Each of the topics on this handout could be a teaching series in and of themselves. This breakout attempts to serve our one thing community with the knowledge that the current young adult generation is the first to be established with abortion as a cultural norm. Number one, calling abortion for what it really is. It's idolatry. Many of us have had abortion defined as a political battle. Many for us have had abortion defined as a cultural battle. And we've seen that played out in uh, the political arena. We've seen uh, the right and the left do battle. The right, the conservatives doing battle with the left. We've seen, you know, the one party, the one vote party emerge. We've seen a number of other things emerge in the political arena. And that is the secondary battle, in my opinion, to the battle for life. And because of the church's silence, because the righteous have not lifted their voice and called sin, sin, and darkness, darkness, and light, light, it, the political arena has kind of just accepted it and taken it on by virtue of the silence from the righteous and by virtue of the silence of the church. 
Now, many of you would ask, why, why the silence from the church? And I would say, without question, because of our moral compromise. Because of what we're doing in the secret place with pornography and abortion. Because of our willingness to yield and somehow righteousness and justice and the things of God don't seem reasonable to the world. We have, by virtue of our inability to stand on righteousness and uh, have those issues accepted into the church and as part of the church, we have lost our, our moral stand. We've lost our moral clarity and we've lost our moral vision. And we know from the Scripture, it's clear, from Leviticus all the way to Revelation, that idolatry, specifically concerning sexuality and, and, uh, and murder, is, is, has throughout history been established as one of the primary means in which your spirit and our nation, nations of the earth and the land would be defiled. And that defiling causes a, a moral compromise, a moral slide. And it begins with the uncomfortable silence that we have in the church now. But it goes, it, it takes a step further. And what we're seeing now is a, a culture that's actually taking a stand and saying, no, what is darkness really is light. And we're actually turning it around. There was a time in our nation long ago, and I, I, uh, I don't necessarily espouse to the idea that, Christ, that America was a Christian nation at one time. I believe we did have a prevalent knowledge of God in our community, and that there was a small, uh, that, that enclave of believers, that, that church arena did affect the culture in a, in a dramatic way. But I would not espouse that we were a Christian nation. I think our history actually shows the opposite. And it's been the church that has held the line on morality, rooted in prayer and rooted in the one thing pursuit, rooted in the knowledge of God, that actually... Uh, helped elevate this nation to a, a, a greater moral stand, a more uh, definitive moral stand on light. Look here in Leviticus, it's all throughout Leviticus. And then later in the New Testament, the Lord's clear. Uh, for those of you who don't know here in this first passage, Molech or uh, the other Amorite idols of, of Israel's day, their, their worship was to sacrifice babies in the fire. They would build altars and, and actually literally birth the babies, live babies, as soon as they were born, or even sometimes older. They would place them in the fire, and that, would be child, that was what abortion was. It was child sacrifice. Fast forward to modern-day America. We look at the scientific community, and we appreciate the knowledge that they have, but it's knowledge devoid of morality. I mean, you think back into the 1930s and 40s, one of the most sophisticated nations on all the earth, Germany, had no knowledge of God, yet they had scientists without measure. They had, they had prolific scientists, prolific mathematicians. They had the Nobel Prize went to Germany time and time again for their scientific endeavors. And yet they produced a man called Adolf Hitler in the Third Reich that engulfed the world in darkness and war and murder. Why? Because there was no knowledge of God. And what I want to say to you today, just if there is one phrase that you could take from this, is that the, the knowledge of God lifts the heart and mind. It changes your paradigm. It is life to your soul. And we, when we look at uh, the different nations of the earth, we, we see the only difference really between Israel and the other nations is that God chose them. 
God chose them to give revelation of himself. And I would say to you today that the cross is the highest self-revelation of God. It's also the highest revelation of human depravity. I mean, we know that we have the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ, and yet we crucified him on a cross. When I say we, I mean all of mankind. I don't think it was a, a historical event. It wasn't a historical event in the sense that you can record it and call it one thing that's happened in history. It's repeated over and over and over again when we reject the knowledge of God and the beauty of Jesus Christ. So Molech, this, this idol, the Lord says specifically, it's one of the first things that he sets in, in uh, the laws governing Israel and their, their sexual conduct. He says, don't make offerings with your babies. And yet here we are today with abortion. Over and over, nearly 50 million, nearly 50 million babies have been offered at the altar of convenience, at the altar of popular culture, at the altar of consumerism. What I think is interesting about this first passage is that the Lord specifically mentions the man. And here in America, we've made it very convenient to make abortion a woman's issue. It's not a woman's issue. Because of a man's failure to lead and because of a man's failure to take a stand on morality, our young ladies have been subject to this. Abortion is not a... a, a, a crisis that's just facing our young ladies. In my opinion, it's mostly because of our young men. Because they, they are refusing to lead in terms of morality. We've created a culture where it's okay. We've created a culture where to say that it's okay for a young man to fool around, but then condemn the woman. And uh, I think the Lord here specifically, when he's mentioning the man, I don't think that's just you know, uh, some kind of uh, cultural nuance to the Hebrews. I think that's the way the Lord looks at it. The Scriptures are apostolic stand. It is the first stand on the revelation of God. And when we look at that, it's a precedent for all of culture and all of life. Now, what's interesting here in this uh, last passage in Leviticus, Leviticus 18, 24, 27. He says, don't defile yourselves to the Israelites because this is how the nations that I am going to drive out before you became defiled. Isn't it interesting, the process of defilement? It's not that they they started out defiled, it's that they ended up defiled. That's what we're doing in our nation now. We're defiling the, the ground that we live on. We're defiling our conscience. You know, Ephesians speaks of a conscience that's been seared as with a hot iron. Every abortion is, a, is a, a testimony to the Lord. Every abortion is a, is, a, is a statement to God saying, God, we are not interested. God, no, thank you. God, we look at your image. We look that we are made in the image of God and we, we hate it. We kill it. We don't think it worthy of life. And every, every time, every abortion, it's a, I hate you, God. It's a worship to something other than the Lord. Taking the most sacred, the most intimate, and the most innocent and and defenseless things and destroying it and calling it science and making it reasonable and seeming right. We've, We've made the statement that we hate you, God, and we've called it science. 
We've made the statement that we hate you, God, and we've called it a woman's choice. We've made the statement, we hate you, God, and we've called it progress and modernity. And it has nothing to do with that. It's the most barbaric thing we could do with our bodies, both man and woman. Again, I, didn't, uh, I, I do not want you to feel condemned, but you need to know the truth. The truth will set you free, and you need to know the context in which you're growing up in. Most of you don't have any idea. Most of you don't have a clue about the 30 years of the, of, of the war on abortion. And you shouldn't. You're young people. You should be thinking of, of good things and wholesome things in God. And yet here you are, and 50 million of your brothers and sisters have been cut down. So that's what, idol- that's what abortion is. It's idolatry. It's worship. And if we think that we can contend with the energy of worship with politics, we've got it all wrong. I mean, worship is the most powerful thing on the earth. Prayer and worship are the two most powerful weapons on all the earth. When you make offerings with your heart to darkness, you encourage it, you foster it, it's proliferated throughout society. When you make offerings with your heart for life and light and God, it's proliferated and we call it revival. And it changes the face of nations. It changes the face of culture. So that's the what, now the why. Why idolatry? Why would the Lord do it? Well, very simply, we get what we ask for. This is a paradigm of the father heart that scares a lot of people. Most of you have heard father heart messages, or most of you have heard that God's a father in that he's loving and accepting, and he is. But unfortunately, we've taken the acceptance of God in grace And we've taken it too far. And and the father heart of God has become the Santa Claus of God. He's out just giving presents. He's out just this jolly old fellow who's, you know, it's okay. It's all right. You're going to be okay somehow, some way. And I can tell you that kind of heart does not answer your cry for justice. You say, I don't even know if I have a cry for justice. And I would define justice this way. God wants to make wrong things right. That's justice. That's the simple definition. Whatever's in your life that's wrong, God wants to make it right. Your parents don't love you. God wants to make it right. You feel rejected by men because of righteousness. God wants to change that. He wants to make it right. You feel disconnected from God. You feel alone. Isn't it amazing that in a culture of of hyper-communication... You feel you still feel alone. I think the media has sold you a lie. My personal opinion, I'm getting a bit off the subject, but I think the media has sold you a lie. I think everyone feels alone. I think everyone grows up with that pain in their heart. That's called the hunger for God. We'll look for a way to solve it. We'll use pornography. We'll use our friends. We'll use human beings. We use money and fame. We use friendship. We'll find a way to feed that hunger. But I guarantee you, if you pulled ten people, eight of them would say, yeah, I've, 
I've actually had that pain in my life quite often. I've, often I've felt alone. And the other two that say, no, I never have. They're lying to you. We get what we ask for. Psalm 145 gives a powerful statement about the dignity that has been given the human spirit. God has mandated as a creator and a father that he will give his creation what it asks for. What a devastating reality in the light of abortion. He's not far off as some respects. Many, many people, even you know, our soul lies to us and says, God's far away. He's not really that close. Culture takes it one step forward and says, there is no God. And I would say to you, there is a God and He is, he is closer than a brother. He is closer to you than you could possibly know. Especially as believers. Especially as those who have accepted Christ and named the name of Christ in truth. He sees everything. I love uh, the statement in Daniel. It says, the Lord dwells in light and he knows what's in the darkness. That's terrifying. God is omniscient. He knows all. God is omnipotent. He can be anywhere in a moment. He can manifest himself anywhere in a moment. And we somehow get this idea, this wrong idea that as a father, he won't give us what we ask for. It's actually the exact opposite. He'll do it with a tear in his eye. He'll be weeping and crying. It will break his heart, but he will honor your your ability to choose. Look at this, Psalm 145, 16 and 17. The eyes of all, all as in everybody, the pagan, the idolater, the God-hater, the godly, the moral, the Jew, the Gentile, the American, the Canadian, all look to you. One way or the other, we're all looking to the Lord. You give them their food at the proper time. In other words, you are supporting the human race right now. You are the Father who gives. You open your hand and satisfy the desires of every living thing. Notice it says desires, not good desires, not bad desires. It simply says desires. And the precedent that, in my opinion, that we see in Scripture is that whatever you're asking for, you're going to get it. If you ask for destruction, you're going to get it. And we keep asking, we've asked nearly 50 million times, Lord, destroy our nation, destroy our culture, tear our young people apart. Well, no, we're not asking God that. Yeah, we've done it 50 million times. Nearly. I think it's 48.7 or 49.7. In a blink, it's 50. Here in Romans, Romans talks about the great giving over. Although they claimed to be wise, they became fools and exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images to make, to look like mortal man. Therefore, God gave them over. What did he give them over to? Their desires. They sought perversion and God gave it to them. Because, and three times it says, he gave them over or God gave them over to a depraved mind to shameful sexual impurity. What the world calls wise, God calls foolish. And now more than ever before, now more than ever before, darkness is approaching us and it's being called light. Immorality seems reasonable. It's okay. 
immorality seems attractive. It's not. And your stand for righteousness can be had at the grace of God. The grace that God is going to give you. The Lord says that um, where darkness abounds, where sin abounds, grace abounds more. In other words, in, in a culture of darkness, the Lord will give you the ability to triumph. The Lord will give you the ability to overcome. The Lord will give you the power and the energy and the nearness of His Spirit to have you in touch with His emotions and His reality and His light. The, uh, the brochure said you would get the real deal on sowing and reaping. Look at Galatians 6, 8. Do not be deceived. God will not be mocked. A man reaps what he sows. The one who sows to please his sin nature from that nature will reap destruction. It's devastating. I mean, the Lord is consistent, isn't he? I mean, on one hand, we espouse, we say he's faithful. He is never, ever, ever, ever at your sincere call. He's never not forgiven you. He has never, ever, ever not shown up when a man has asked to be saved. He's always saved them. And he will never, ever, 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 ever not deny his righteousness. If you sow darkness, you will get darkness at a personal and a corporate level. Fifty million times we've sowed that seed. The Lord's saying, you're breaking my heart. America, you're breaking my heart. America, you're breaking my heart. Why? What are you doing? I'm a righteous God. I'm consistent. I will follow through. Don't do it. Okay, so how do we overcome? Getting real about the one thing. You guys came to a one thing or nothing conference. This is it. The knowledge of God. I tell you, in all you're getting, get the knowledge of God. If you would climb a mountain, let it be the mountain of the knowledge of God. Let it be the beauty of Jesus Christ. Abortion and other uh, prevalent systematized darkness seems insurmountable. If we approach, approach abortion as we've historically done, the battle will not be won. We cannot look at abortion through politics, as I said earlier. We have to look at it as a, as a spiritual issue, as a spiritual crisis. A lot of people say religion's dead in America. I would actually say it's, it's thriving. Just call it idolatry. Religion is thriving in America. We have a proliferation of lesser gods. We have a proliferation of the worship of demons and darkness. There's more, there's more 24-7 porn houses open than there are houses of prayer to Jesus. That should freak you out. That should freak you out. You should be quaking in your boots. The worship movement in America is live and well. It's, it's pumping. Pumping with darkness. As stated earlier, abortion is a manifestation of the idolatry that lives in the heart of man. Therefore, contending, the contending that needs to take place is primarily, though not exclusively, uh, it, through, through spiritual means. Some would say, well, is it all politics or is it all religion? Is it all prayer or is it all 
you know, do we lobby in, in Washington? And I would say don't, don't, uh, don't forsake one for the other. I mean, we need the political process to remove the laws, don't we? We need the political process to restrict human behavior. But that's not, that's not the only battle. In fact, I would say it's not the primary battle. If you go after the principalities and powers and spiritual warfare that is primarily expressed in worship to God, then we will see the, the crumpling of those laws. We will see them uh, either put aside or moved, or moved away. Look at here, Ephesians 1.10. He's made known to us the mystery of His will according to His good pleasure, which He purposed in Christ. Here it is. Look at this. This is incredible. To bring all things in heaven and on earth together, even one head, even Christ. That is my definition of revival. When the things of heaven and the things of earth come together. When we look at revival, it's not renewal. It's not renewal. It's not the... the and I, let me preface this statement. I appreciate the warm fuzzies and the, the outpourings of the Holy Spirit that really touch our heart and they move us. And we're touched by the Father heart of God. And we're touched by His hand. But that's, in my opinion, that's not revival. We cannot look at that as revival. We have to look at revival as when earth reflects what's true in heaven. That's revival. And that's what we're contending for. That's what night and day prayer is all about. Night and day prayer is about a habitation. It's about the knowledge of God sweeping across the nation so that America reflects what's truly in heaven. Beauty and light and righteousness and justice. Now the formation of our uh, of personal wrong paradigms about God and the prevailing culture of darkness have seven common several commonalities. The beauty of God erases the false distance that you feel in your soul concerning God and eternity. Here, look at here, Ephesians two six. It's a spiritual fact, it's a supernatural fact that you've been raised up with Christ and seated with Him in the heavenly realms. Isn't that amazing? And yet all of us look at that and say, I don't feel that. That's not on my soul. I know it's true in the Spirit. I know God has done some type of miraculous work that I would be in Christ in the heavenly places, yet I don't feel it. And I would tell you that the arguments that are in your heart concerning God and the arguments in your heart concerning is he good or is he not? The arguments and the, the vain and lofty things, the scripture says, that exalt itself against the knowledge of God. Even in the culture around you, a thousand times a day at school and on TV and everywhere else, it says God's not good. God doesn't care. God doesn't even exist. Those are forming wrong paradigms in your heart concerning God. So that Ephesians 2, 6, that you've been raised up with Christ and seated in heavenly places, seems far and distant and not near your soul. And I would tell you that's true of all, what I would say to you is that the one thing desired pursues that. The one thing desire brings you and brings your soul near to God. The beauty of the knowledge of God, to know Him, the scripture says, is to be like Him. When I mean know, I mean you've had an encounter with God. I don't mean that as romantic language, and I don't mean that as some kind of cultural nuance. I mean, you have God has presented Himself to you in His beautiful and terrible righteousness, and you've been changed. 
I'm talking about like an Isaiah 6 experience where Isaiah sees the Lord high and lifted up. And he says, woe is me. I am undone. In other words, I'm dead outside of the Lord covering me with his blessing. I'm a dead man. And the Lord touching his, the coal to his lips and, and, and then giving him righteousness. I'm talking about uh, uh, Revelation 4 and 5. Where John sees the heavenly courtroom. He's undone. He's got an encounter with the Lord. It changes his entire paradigm. Those kind of experiences are what's going to keep you going in the fight for abortion. It's the, those kind of experience that you cry out for. That you even think about those things is the entrance of the knowledge of God. It's going to change your paradigm. It's going to put new thinking in your mind about worship. It's going to put new thinking in your mind about God. Hebrews 6.19, we have this hope or confidence. Just hope and confidence are the same thing. We have this hope as an anchor for our soul. The soul is so wishy-washy. It's so left and right. It's so There's no strength in it outside of the Lord. And the Lord would say, we have confidence in what? In the nature of God, in the knowledge of God. When you gain the knowledge of God in your heart, when you gain that one thing perspective, you have an anchor in your soul. You can look at your girlfriend, you can look at your boyfriend, you can look at your friend considering an abortion, bound in shame, and you can say, I guarantee you, it would be better to have this baby. And you'll be able to weather the condemnation that inevitably you will get because of the knowledge of God on your heart, because you've seen the beauty and the righteousness of God. I'm, uh, I tell you what, I'm going to cut this short. And what I would like to do is just do a question and answer time. I feel like um, I just feel that you got you guys have a sense of what I'm talking about. Uh, but I feel like there's probably just some questions in the room that you wouldn't otherwise ask about abortion or you wouldn't be considering about justice. And rather than have a ministry time, I think we could have a ministry time. Um, I'd just like us to go forward on maybe some questions and answers. So if anybody has Q&A or, or a question, I'd invite you to raise your hand. Are you raising your hand? When, yeah, when according to the Bible does life begin? I, I think Psalm 139 is a good one. My, my personal opinion is uh, conception. When the egg starts splitting, is my opinion, is when life begins. Other questions? Yes, ma'am, in the back. Can you, can you make a connection between pornography and abortion? I, in my opinion, uh, I've done a little research on that, uh, and I would, I would, not necessarily give you a scientific answer. I want to give you more of a biblical answer. And I would think they're kind of the left foot, right foot of Romans 1. In other words, in my opinion, pornography is kind of the round one of perversion that's been given to our culture. And the round two is the greater depravity of of abortion. So, you know, are they linked? What we're doing is we're, we're erasing our conscience. We're erasing the value of a human life. 
And in my opinion, that begins when you subject the human body to worship. You start degrading it. And you start erasing the memory of God. And from that place, there's greater and greater depravity that you're given over to until abortion becomes much more prevalent like it is here in America. You know, we, we have a kind of a three-dimensional paradigm of worship, don't we? I mean, the, the Scripture's clear. I've got them here on the back of your handout. There's principalities and powers, and there's a, a hierarchy of, of spiritual dynamics that are in the heavens. And the beauty is, is that we have catapulted in Christ... We catapult from earth into heaven. We are seated with Christ in heavenly places. We are seated with Christ in heavenly places. You're not subject. That's the freedom that Paul talks about. You're not subject to any of those principalities and powers. You have the ability, by virtue of a free will, to choose not to be subject to those things. I want to say that, and then I want to say this, is that the height of the God you worship is going to be the height of your behavior. And we have chosen such a low God in America. America has chosen such a low thing to worship in the human frame that the the condition of our nation is just plummeting. And the base behavior, the depraved behavior that we're seeing in America is in proportion to the height of the God we worship. And we know the highest high is God himself. We don't have to, we don't, we as Christians don't have to worship darkness. So, uh, does that make sense? You guys understand where I'm coming from? Does that answer, does that give you a little, okay, other questions? Yes, ma'am. Right. So what can you do as a teenager, even pre-voting teenager, uh, on the fight for abortion? I think prayer, I think organizing yourself and praying. I think fasting, prayer and fasting are the two most powerful weapons that I know about. Again, the, the primary weapon, the primary force that we're dealing with for abortion is not, is not physical. It's supernatural. And so I think creating a context in which people understand that and then not only understand that, but are willing to take a stand against it. And taking a stand against abortion is taking a stand for God. In other words, you're primarily, the idea of raising your fist and shouting and going after folks, that all you're doing is, you know, you, a house divided cannot stand. We know that from the scripture. Meeting anger with anger has no effect. Meeting anger with love does. And I think the most loving thing to do is to pray and to fast and to ask the Lord to rally people around you to do the same. Yes, sir. Yeah, I would say don't get one. I would say adopt it, keep it, find somebody to take the baby. Yes, ma'am. Yeah, I would make it. Di- 
Yeah, I don't think there's, I mean, I think there's probably five answers in your question. Yeah, yeah, but I want to, I don't mean that. Yeah, yeah. Let me answer your question. Um, I think number one, like what is the church doing? I think the church primarily needs to cry out for revival in the church. I think a lot of the what we consider insurmountable socioeconomic problems are overcome with righteousness. And I think righteousness costs you everything. And I think we have a gospel right now that doesn't cost us anything. I think we have an American gospel. I think we don't have a gospel that costs us anything. And when we get the vision of a gospel and a righteousness that costs us our entire life, and we begin to walk in the discipleship of the cross, the same discipleship that the Father chose for the Son, I think a lot of what you, what you have defined as socioeconomic problems can be overcome. Then righteousness, then walking out righteousness. No, don't tell, do. Adopt the baby. Find a home for it. Give the mother money. Give the mother a home. Yeah. good it's good other questions yeah go ahead in the front good righteousness has the proverb i mean uh, proverbs has the has the statement that righteousness exalts a nation yes ma'am is it a question okay how do you overcome shame in other words yeah, I think first of all, you know, you know, premarital sex or, or sex outside of covenant 
again, I think we have a godless, I think we have a, a form of religion devoid of power. And I'm not talking about signs and wonders. I'm simply talking about righteousness, just saying no. And that, that is walked out. And pri- I think you primarily get your oil or you primarily get your strength through prayer and fasting and through developing uh, a community based on the knowledge of God. In terms of overcoming shame, I think um, that goes back to a church that, that doesn't choose righteousness. Now, let me say this. I love the church. I love the church. The church is God's redemptive vehicle on the earth. The church is God's redemptive vehicle on the earth. That's his, his bride. But the thing that you love or the person that you love, you have to be honest with. And I think your, your question is a good one in terms of how do you conquer shame. And I think you know, I'm sounding like a broken record, but it is the knowledge of God that God loves you. And not only that does he love you, but he's going to provide for you. He's going to make a way for you to, to change your behavior and change your thinking and change the paradigms in your life. In terms of acceptance, I don't, I personally don't think righteousness is very acceptable right now in the church or out. That's my personal opinion. Yes, in the back. Right, right. Yeah, I think, um, so the, the question is where can we get more information, I guess pro-life information you're thinking? And uh, how about, you know, what's going on in the judicial system? I think, you know, just Google the Supreme Court. I mean, I hate to give them advertisement, but find a search engine. How's that? And type in Supreme Court or abortion, and you'll find five or six things. In terms of life sites, there's a number of them. Scott, do you have any on the top of your head that you can think of? Bound for life. There you go. Yes, sir. Yeah, I've seen uh, I've seen some material on that. And what the gentleman is referring to is that most churches, when they incorporate uh, for finances and, and as a as they're recognized before the government, the 501c3 uh, restricts in order to keep their uh, 501c3 is a as a tax exemption status before the government. And in order to keep that, um, many churches uh, and I would use the word. Uh, how do I say this? Many people feel like uh, that in order to keep that tax-exempt status, that they're actually not preaching controversial message that would challenge the, the government. Uh, and I've seen a number of uh, articles. I've seen another a number of publications that claim, as you do, that by virtue of being the church, we don't have to pay taxes. We can say what we want to, do what we want to, and everything. Um, I don't have an opinion. I don't have I don't have a I don't have an opinion that I think I could stand on. I'll put it that way. Biblically stand on. Yes, ma'am. 
plan B pills, I think it's abortion. Um, is, that answer, is that what you were looking for, whether it was abortion or not abortion? That's a really good question, right? Yeah, they're trying to make a way now for a pharmacist to uh, refuse. First of all, Plan B, the Plan B pill or the RU-486 uh, uh, is a, a what they're calling the morning after pill. And, uh, and it was created to by taking uh, the medicine, though it's not medicine, it would do a work in the woman that uh, if she did form a life, it would flush the life out and kill the baby. It's They call it the morning after pill. Um, and so I do believe that that is a, that is a form of abortion. Uh, in terms of pharmacists who are Christian pharmacists who have the, uh, they're hired to dispense drugs and everything, I know that there's several laws in the works by the government that would allow a pharmacist to not dispense them. Uh, and I th- but I think probably um, what I would say is find, find a different line of work or find a different job. Right, right. That's not true. That's, your, that's the Food and Drug Administration making it palatable. To pass it. Yes, sir. Concerning issue, if you're going to pray for anything, I think, you know, the catch-all is praying, for, you know, for the for revival. I think Lou Ingalls' prayer, how many of you, I heard bound for life all over the place. How many of you have the, where am I? I do have one. There I am. It's underneath my green tag. Pray for the life of, uh, pray for the Lou Ingalls' prayer. Lord, I plead your blood over my sins and the sins of my nation. God and abortion send revival to America. I think I think God is the God of a big target. In other words, if you're saying God and abortion send revival, I think He takes that and puts it where He wants to in terms of effectiveness. Uh, in terms of something very very specific, I think um, in the courts you can try to find you can pray for a new uh, Supreme Court justice that's pro-life. I think that will change things, and you can uh, pray for revival in the church that they would esteem righteousness yes ma'am uh-huh right yeah there's yeah and the question is uh let me frame your question, and if I if I've misunderstood it, I'll give you the right, I'll give you the time to to tell me I did wrong. Okay. There are many forms of birth control that um, claim to be birth control, but actually terminate a life in the womb. They ter- they when the egg is uh, starting to develop, they it'll it's a medicine or a, a drug that will flush the egg out, and they're still called quote birth control. And I think what you're saying, and if I'm wrong, tell me, you're saying that birth control seems to be that there would be a, uh, it would be a way in which no life can happen versus a life has happened and then it's killed. Is that what you're saying?
Yeah. Is it okay to have birth control? That's a really intense question. <laughs> uh, come to me afterward. Uh-huh. Right, secondary. I hope that that's giving, this was designed to give you context. And uh, just where's the battle? Where are we going? You know, how to overcome what it's been about. The, the Q&A was designed to maybe get some more uh, specific information answered. If you have questions for me, uh, I'd be welcome to answer them uh, after you're dismissed. Is it okay if we meet in here? Okay, and so just stay here. Otherwise, bless you and um Go for God.